0: Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless. Good morning, everybody. Can you hear me clearly? It's so wonderful to be with the family of God. Amen? You know, the kingdom of God is growing and extending every day. Every day all over the world, people are hearing the good news of the gospel. And every day they are coming to a knowledge of the truth. That's what's happening every day. And you get to be a part of that. And what I loved so much about the gospel, when I began to understand the revelation of the good news, was that I get to play a part in everything that God wants to do on the earth. That often we look for God's plan instead of looking in the mirror to realize that God had a plan and it was you. God's plan is you. You are the crown of all His creation. That's shockingly definite. In the return of Christ, he comes riding on a horse. And it says, on the horse, on the side, it says, King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the kings and the lords that he is king and lord over. You are chosen by God to be his ambassador on the earth. Today, right now, where you are, if you are a born-again believer, you, wherever you go, might be the only version of Jesus someone ever sees. And if that is important, then it's important that we learn how to manifest our sonship more efficiently and more proactively than ever before. Because if we truly want the kingdom to come in word, not in word only, but in demonstration also, then we have to be available. How many of you sitting in this room saw the devastation of what playing church does during this time that we just faced? You see, a church that has become dull of hearing. Is a church that has heard the truth over and over again and hasn't acted upon the word. That picture over there clearly demonstrates that it is the word of God that puts the angels of God in action to destroy the works of the devil. Can you see it? I'm just a simple guy. I put pictures together like you know Egyptian hieroglyphs. Word equals devil's dead. Come on now, Is, was it true when God said, I will send my word and heal them? Did Jesus represent the word of God? Did he? If he represented the word of God, then he was the word of God, then he came as the word of God, and the word of God did What? It came to destroy the works of the devil. Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit and with power and he went about doing good and setting all who were oppressed of the devil free for God, the Father, was with him. Come on. Is he with you? So then let's just read that verse in the New Testament. It says, how God anointed you with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how you went about doing good and setting all free who were held captive by the devil because your father was with you wherever you went. (laughs) Well, if that's the beginning of it, it's going to be fun. Amen? Hallelujah. Tell you what. The first thing we need to understand is what God says about something before we can live in it. You can't live in something that you don't know is yours. How many of you have ever believed a promise that hasn't been made? In other words, have you ever Being able to put your trust in someone doing something for you that they never said they would do. No. Isn't that right? You can't expect someone to do something for you that they didn't say they would do. Am I correct? That means that when God said I would do it, then he made a promise. So the fact that he said he would do it made that promise available so that you could trust his promise. Now, how many of you know that a promise is something about what you are going to do in the future? Am I right? So if it's something you're going to do in the future, then the reality is that we keep looking at healing as something that's coming rather than something that we have. Because most people read... God has healed, uh, God will heal me. Or, the, For example, in Isaiah 53, it says, by his wounds we are healed. How many of you have read that scripture before? Well, that's in the present tense. But yet, in 1 Peter 2, 24, it says, by his wounds we were healed. So something changed from, from by his wounds we are healed to by his wounds we were healed. How many of you think that that's a significant difference? So when God made a promise, it takes more faith to believe someone will keep their promise than it does to see that someone has kept their promise. Am I right? If someone says they're going to deposit 10,000 rand into your account, and you see no 10,000 rand, then you feel they've lied to you. But if someone says they're going to put 10,000 rand in your account, then you're trusting they will do so. And when the 10,000 rand comes into the account, then you no longer need faith for 10,000 rand to come into your account. You only now need faith to know that it's in your account. Are you guys still out there? So that means that if something is already deposited, then it's already yours. It's not something that's coming. If I transfer the money into your account, it's already your money. Is that right? So then when you need to use that money, do you need to call me to transfer the money again? Then why do people keep asking God for healing when he's already given it to them? I'm going to prove all this, I promise you. In the Old Testament, there was this idea concerning sin and freedom from sin called atonement. How many of you have heard of atonement before? Atonement really is rooted in the idea of covering over sin. And covering over sin protects the sinner for a season. But what Jesus came to do was to remove sin completely. So the atonement was a faith-based action based on something that was going to happen in the future, but it wasn't sufficient to do what that thing in the future would do. It was a shadow and a type of that which Jesus would do in the future. Because there was never a sacrifice worth sacrificing that could truly take away the sins of the world, except the one, Jesus Christ. He's the only one. And so even though God overlooked sins in the past through the sacrifices, he did so because they had faith in what Jesus was going to do for them. Does it make sense? Right. Now, in Hebrews 9, 11 to 14. Can you just bring it up for me, please? Okay, well, if you have a Bible, please go there. Everyone has phones, right? Hebrews nine eleven to 14. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal Salvation, an eternal redemption, sorry. So do you see the word there, eternal redemption? Okay, the word redemption is a, a, a the word to be redeemed, it actually comes from an old trade word. It means to purchase a slave out of slavery or bondage. Now, whenever you traded um, for slaves, it's very much like trading commodities. If I buy something for 50 rand, I'm going to try and sell it for 60 rand. But if I bought it for 1 billion rand, and there's no one who can afford 1 billion rand, then it's overpriced. You understand? So it can't be sold because its value is too high. So the word redemption here means to be bought out of captivity at such a high price that you can never be sold into slavery again. This word redemption is an eternal redemption. Does your Bible say eternal redemption? It says eternal redemption there. Securing an eternal redemption. Now, how many in this room by show of hands can tell me categorically all your sins, past, present, and future are forgiven? Okay, for those of you, whose hands are down. We're going to pray for you to get saved today. Today is the day of salvation. Today you're going to get born again. Because today you get to come into the kingdom because Jesus has already paid this price in full. He has paid it in full. In Romans three twenty three to 25, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means there isn't a person here that doesn't need this redemption. Am I correct? And are justified by his grace as a gift Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. You see that? That means that God proved his righteousness to us by making sure that he settled the account of all our sins even when he was overlooking it. Isn't that amazing? Now, now let's just go back for a second. When we first started, Steve was sharing about Genesis and how in the beginning everything was perfect and then there was this um, mistake that happened and it all got messed up. Am I right? And what's interesting about it is Jesus comes to completely restore us back to a better state Than what we were in the garden. But yet we still live like people who are subject to a state that is worse than the garden. Now you might say, but Mark, you know, we live in this world. I'm like, yes, you're in this world, but you're not of it. The Bible says you're a citizen of heaven. You're an ambassador of a foreign kingdom, which means you have diplomatic immunity in this kingdom. Which means the rules and the regulations that apply to people, normal people out there, don't apply to you. Because you are a citizen of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's why Jesus could fall asleep in a boat and not be concerned about what would happen. Because he was part of a kingdom that could not be shaken. Does that make sense? You might say, Mark, what has this got to do with healing? You'll see. I promise you, you'll see. Now, the concern we have is that often we think that because our sins are forgiven, that's all that there is. And we believe that because our sins are forgiven, we're going to go to heaven. And so when we get to heaven, we'll finally be free from this body and its sickness and its sin and its horrible Pressure and everything that comes with it. How many people know people like that? Because there's no one like that here. Amen. Now that the reality is that people think this way because they believe that death is their Savior. Not that Jesus is their Savior. They believe one day when I die, I'll go to heaven. I've got news for you. If you're born again, you're dead already. The Bible said you died with Christ, you were buried with Him, and you were resurrected with Him to a new life. That means that as a believer, you are already alive in Christ, and that death no longer has power over you. So if death no longer has power over you, why do we allow sickness to have power over us? You see, whatever you believe you can get, you give, in a way, space to get it. You attract what you fear. You attract what you believe. See this? good friend of mine gave me this. Faith over fear. Is that? Why is it important? Because faith means you're trusting God in spite of what you're going through. Because you know that what he said is greater than what you're going through. So that what he said matters more than what you're going through. And then at the end, you look back and you go, oh yeah, what he said is now true. Even though of everything I went through. Now I've seen this in situations where people have been shot. I've seen this in situations where people were on the verge of dying. I've seen this in situations where people were brain dead. And they came back. Because of the Word of God, because God is faithful to His word, not because He's faithful to a person. All right. Psalm 103. Well now this is where the connection comes. So far I've shown you that redemption is about your salvation, about your rescue. Well that whole word, that whole word, rescue and salvation actually provides for the healing of every sickness and disease. And that's why David writes this psalm. In Psalm 103 verse 2, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, and who heals some select diseases. Oh, who heals all diseases except influenza. That's just normal life, people. That's just part of life. you just got to cope with that. Are you reading what I'm reading? Forget not all his benefits. Why not? Why should we remember his benefits? Well, because we tend to forget. The world is telling us this is normal, but our normal and their normal has always been different. We don't, they, listen, we don't need a new normal. We just need to live the normal, supernaturally normal. Am I right? If, if there's, listen, if you wake up in the morning and your expectation of what can happen in your life isn't greater because you are in the kingdom of God, then what is there a difference between you and the person next door who isn't saved? There has to be some greater expectation of what God will do in and through your life. Am I right? And I believe everyone in this room has a desire to see these things. The only thing that debilitates us is fear. And we all, I'm honest enough to talk about that. But what does away with fear is the perfect love of God. And I can tell you now, the more I've begun to understand what the Word of God says about this particular subject, the easier it's been for me to step out And see people get set free. So he says, forget not all these benefits, who forgives all your iniquity. We believe that one. And who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. And who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. And who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. You know, if you read a little bit further, the the next verse says, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. What? The Lord works. So if you're being oppressed, what's the Lord doing? How is He working? How would the Lord bring justice and righteousness for all who are oppressed. How would he do it? Through us. Church, we are not called the ecclesia, the called out ones, the, the literal spiritual justice department of God on the earth, if we are not supposed to be part of working righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. That's why when you see someone who is hungry, your heart goes out to them. That's why when you see someone who is sick, your heart goes out to them. That's why when you see someone who needs help, your heart goes out to them because you realize it doesn't look like heaven and it needs to look like heaven. Jesus said, pray this prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is there demonic oppression in heaven? Then there shouldn't be any here. Am I right? Is there sickness in heaven? Should there be any here? So the reality is that we need to allow heaven to invade earth for the benefit of all mankind. You're making me work very hard this morning. It's okay. Right. So how many of you want to know the very foundation that the greats stood on in the last 200 years? The people who got the most successful healings, in other words, the ones who had the most successful healing ministries, the F.F. Bosworth, the A. Allens, the Smith Wigglesworth, the John Lakes, all those people. What was it that they fundamentally believed that allowed them to get the results that they got when praying for the sick? How many of you would like to know what that was? Only one person. Anybody else? Okay, well, okay, so there's more. All right. So let me tell you, right? What they believed was this, was that when Jesus paid the price for sin, he also paid the price for sickness. And that he couldn't pay the price for sin without paying the price for sickness because there was a whipping post and there was a crucifixion. There was the bread that was broken, and there was the blood that was spilt. You understand? There was your iniquities that were being forgiven, and there was the healing of the human body. Does it make sense? So they believed this intrinsically, and they believed it because of Isaiah 53. So if you go to Isaiah 53, it's, it reads in verse 1 like this Who has believed? and he has carried our sorrows. Now, the word there, for he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, the word borne and carried are two Hebrew words. The one is Nassar, and the other one is Sabal. And they're synonymous words. In other words, they mean the same thing. And they mean to carry something for you so that you do not need to carry it. So let me ask you, if you go to a hotel, right, and they... um, take your baggage, do you insist in carrying your baggage at the same time as they carry your baggage? No, you don't. Why? Because you have been offered this this service that they will carry your baggage for you or your luggage for you to your room. Am I correct? So Jesus has done this service for you. He has carried whatever griefs and sorrows are, He has carried for you. Now, a lot of interpretations will put their griefs and sorrows. But I'm going to show you in Matthew, where Matthew, the writer of the book of Matthew, writes in where this verse has been fulfilled so that you can see how Scripture interprets Scripture. Okay? So if you go with me to Matthew 8, 14 to 17, it says this. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law laying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed some who were sick how many on that behalf of you are paying attention he healed all who were sick am i right So was anyone left sick? Right. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. Now this is Isaiah 53 verse 4 where it says griefs and sorrows in the Hebrew. But yet Matthew is writing in the context of people being set free from demons and being healed. He's writing into that context that that context was fulfilling what this scripture was talking about. Which means that a more accurate rendering of the Hebrew should actually be what is written here in Matthew 8, 14-17. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. That means Jesus has already carried for you your sicknesses and diseases, So that you don't need to carry them. Now, how many parents do we have in the house? Any one of you willing to trade places with your child if and whenever they've been sick? Anyone? Do you know where you get that from? The father. That's where you get that from. Just as you would be willing to trade places. With your child, God was willing to trade places with us. Does that make sense? And he literally traded places with us and took our sicknesses and diseases so that we don't have to bear them anymore. Then you might say, well, Mark, you know, um, people still get sick. Yeah, people still get sick because people are not convinced that this is true. Think that you're going to change years and years of bad thinking overnight is, I think, somewhat preposterous. There's a tendency for people to revert back to bad thinking if they don't reinforce positive thinking. Have you guys ever heard of uh, um, renewing the mind? Romans 12. Then you'll know that um, the renewing of the mind is a constant and continual process. Okay, Now, a good friend of mine puts it like this. He says, if you've got bad thinking, it's like having a diaper full of doo-doo. You know what doo-doo is, right? It's like a diaper full of doo-doo. And what most people do is they take truce, and and, and that's like the new nappy, and they try and put the new nappy over the old one. But they still got all the doo-doo. They haven't taken the old nappy off, cleaned up the doo-doo, and put the new nappy on. They've got stinking thinking. They have thoughts that are contrary to God's word and his will for them, that they keep thinking are true for them when it's not true for them. And then that thinking allows them to have behaviors and take actions that set them up for failure instead of success in this area. So in order to begin to change, how many of you are absolutely sure that your sins are forgiven? You're persuaded. Can anyone convince you that your sins are not forgiven? Some of you are looking at me like, maybe. Am I in a grace house? Hallelujah. Right, so if, if I can't convince you that your sins are not forgiven, then how can I convince you that you're not healed? Because what evidence do you have that your sins are forgiven? He said it, His Word. What other evidence do you have? You don't. You only have one evidence, His Word said it. Am I right? So what other evidence do we have that healing is yours today? Come on, that's right his word and his word is powerful enough to destroy devils to destroy and de- and bring into complete prison those thoughts and imaginations that raise themselves up against the knowledge of Christ. So what these guys believed was that healing, was as much a guarantee for you as salvation was. That means how many of you um, should get sick? Nobody. Nobody should get sick. But yet we still get attacked, don't we? So I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm saying that the word promises a standard up here. But often we live... Somewhere around here. Am I right? And we're all growing towards it. But if we don't have the right standard, we'll never head towards the right goal. Is that clear? That means every single person in this room can be completely free from sickness and disease and can expect God's Word to work for them because He's already done it. Today, your sins are are forgiven your bodies are healed so this is to set the precedent the precedent for this fact that as much as your sins have been forgiven your body has been healed and then next week i'm going to talk to you about the fact that not only can you walk in this as divine health but you can walk in this to the degree where it spills over to others of who God has created you to be. Who's excited to hear about that? Amen. So what we're going to do now is, if you can all just stand for me. Am I good for time? If there's anything that you struggle with in your body, whether it be allergy, whether it be an ache, a pain, an injury, anything like that, can you put up your hand? Okay. How many of you heard this word this morning and you feel stirred in your heart that this is something that you need to take a hold of? Okay, so put your hands up for me. So those of you who have felt that stirring, I want you to put your hands up for me, okay, and receive this right now. Okay, In the name of Jesus, from the top of your head to the tips of your toes, be here. Right now. Right now. Right now. Right now, in Jesus' name. Every allergy you bow your knee to the name of Jesus, go right now. Every weakness, every infirmity, Go right now. In Jesus' name. Right, now the person next to you, I want you to just look at them. Ask them a question. Ask them, how are you doing? How's your body doing? Can you feel a difference? How many of you could feel a difference? Put your hand up for me. One, two, three. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Now, those of you probably who can't tell, okay, I'm telling you now, God is already working on the inside of you. What I just did, I'm going to teach you to do. Is that good? Amen. Let we just close with prayer. Father, I just thank you for every single person here. I thank you that your word will not return void, but it will accomplish the task for which it is sent. I thank you. That we declared them whole and healed. And that is the way it is. That's the way it will be. In Jesus' mighty name.